What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Powder and Loam Podcast. I'm your host, Gil, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about ski maintenance with my friend, Debbie. He's worked in a ski shop for a few years, so he's got quite a bit of experience repairing skis, and he's seen quite a bit of stuff. Um, Also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Go check us out on Instagram, at Powder and Loam, and yeah, make sure and tell your friends. So, Deb, uh, sounds like you went skiing today. How was it? Yes, uh, pretty good. Uh, a little cold, but not, you know, not too bad. Had some fun park laps. So, was snowing a little bit, but um, kind of stopped towards the end of the day. Yeah, but kind of really blows that like all you can really do are groomer and park laps right now, like. At at our home resort, like you can't even really hit side hits because there's so many there's so many dirt patches everywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. There's just rocks on the the side of the hill and stuff. So yeah, yeah. So, and speaking of all that stuff, years like this usually end up with people realizing that they need a lot more ski and board maintenance. Um, and You've been working in a ski shop now for what, like three years, two, three yeah, years? Yeah, just about. So, and Debbie is actually the, what? what's your official title? Like the warranty manager or something like that? Or like warranty yeah, technician? Yeah, something like that. Warranty specialist. Some, yeah. Something. So he takes care of all of the bike and ski warranties. Um, and so... A lot of some of that stuff can be prevented by how you ride, but also like, you know, just by taking care of your stuff. And so we're going to go through some some basic and some not so basic maintenance that you can do on your skis and boards to keep them, you know, in top shape, lasting longer. Uh, and so you don't have to go visit the shop near as often or or end up spending a fortune when you do get there. So the first thing that I think most people think of when they are, are asked about ski maintenance would be waxing. Um, and waxing is something that you can do at the shop or you can do at home. Is there even a difference in hot waxing at home versus the shop? Um, other than it's maybe a little colder in the garage if you're doing it in there. Um, it, it basically, I feel like it does the same, same thing, no matter where you are. Um, it's definitely more comfortable to be like in a shop or if you have like a huge garage or something, but, uh, yeah, it's no matter where you are, I feel like it gets, it gets the job done. Um, just as long as you're making sure that the base is heated up so it can take the wax, um, just things like that. Yeah. So. So obviously there's wax involved but what other tools if you're gonna wax your stuff at home what tools do people need to get to just be like that home guru um well i would recommend like a good pair of vices is always nice it's like you know you can use your bar stools or um you know whatever whatever you want and it'll work but having a good pair of specific two skis vices is um a nice thing to have just make sure that they won't 
slide around or anything while you're scraping and um it's just a nice you know platform to to have and then i have like a um well my roommate has like a a table um just like a metal table that those can clamp onto um so i would just say some sort of surface that you feel comfortable clamping those um clamps to would be good uh something that's sturdy and not gonna move around too much um and then you'll need like an iron um a lot of people will go get an iron at the di or something um and like that works thrift, but it's definitely nice to have like a ski specific iron um it works much better and and you don't um, fill up a whole bunch of holes it. with wax yeah 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 um, um and then like going back to vices and stuff if you're trying to do this on the cheap like even some like railroad ties cut down to a foot and a half in in width covered in like some rubber or carpet like even something like that works way better than trying to finagle your skis like on the ground or something like that you know just something that can can prop those up so your bindings whether ski or snowboard are off the ground um and then like deb said like i even just have a plastic table like cheapo plastic table that i got just because i know it's going to get covered in wax like it's a messy process so no matter what don't put it on like your nice like dining room table or i wouldn't even put it on my kitchen counter like it's just going to get messy but okay so wax iron some vices or a stand of some sort maybe a table what else um and then you'll you'll need like a scraper obviously um and then some wax and they there's a bunch of different kinds of wax people you know kind of like to do it based on hot and cold temperatures they make different stuff for that um and then there's also just like universal wax that um you can theoretically you can just put it on and it'll it'll work good for most days so yeah and that stuff if you're getting picky then you know the temperature specific wax is definitely going to be faster but if you just need to get something in your base then the universal wax works works just fine um so with with scrapers and stuff you know they're only a few bucks you can buy just a scraper but I found that at home, I like to have just like even a Scotch-Brite pad. You don't have to have the fancy brushes and stuff, but if you just go to the grocery store, buy a Scotch-Brite pad, then that can usually buff things pretty well. Um, and yeah, that's, at least in, for me, that's kind of like a great starting point for a home setup. But what's the difference between that equipment and what you have in the ski shop um so in the shop we'll have like um obviously we have an iron and then we have you know in in our particular shop we've got multiple places that we can um wax on and um then we have uh you know scrapers and then a bunch of different like brushes so we have like um mainly three different brushes that we'll use. So the first one is more of a metal brush. So it's more coarse and that kind of just removes some of the wax. And then 
the other two are more of um, like finishing brushes. Um, so we'll use the, the most coarse one, the metal one first, um, and then a slightly less coarse like nylon one, and then a pretty soft horsehair one at the very end, and then a scotch right pad after that as well. So yeah and it's it's the same concept as sanding like use your your heavier grit first and then you go down to your fine grit and that's just helping originally it takes off some of that extra wax and then it helps just polish things so that they're nice and smooth and then like you said you finish it off with a scotch bright pad sometimes maybe a cork and that gets things really polished and really fast um yeah so, you know, the outcome is going to be more or less the same, but there are some extra tools that a shop is going to have to, to make it maybe just a little bit more finished and a little bit more polished. So moving on from wax, the second thing that a lot of people, you know, that comes up in most people's heads are edges, um, What's what's the difference between getting your stuff edged at home versus at the shop? Um, so at home, like what a lot of people will have is just one of those little um, pocket edger things, which is just a file basically in this little jig um, to file down the edges um, in a certain you know certain angle or whatever. Um, and those those work but it does take quite a while to uh, um, get a sharp edge, especially if it's, you know, something that's pretty, pretty rusty or pretty rough. Um, and then a ski shop will have like, uh, it's basically like the best way to explain it is like a belt sander for the edges of your skis. Um, and we have like two different uh, jigs that we'll do for side edging and then for the base edge as well. Um, and that is much faster and I think gives a much better result, um, compared to just the file and the, the jig that most people would have if they have something to edge with at home. So, yeah, definitely. And using the machine edger in a shop, you can also get, you can work down some of those deeper scratches that might be in your edges or like you said it will take rust off way faster and it will get past all of that that gunk and and imperfections a lot faster than if you're doing it by hand at home now if you took your stuff in to get edged they edged it with the machine and then you want to just do upkeep on your edges i think that those pocket edgers are great you know just to make sure things stay sharp and whatever but I totally agree with you. It's it doesn't give you the same kind of edge. Unless we're talking about race skis, but that's for a different episode. Mm-hmm. Um okay. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about and this is where things start to really get different between what you can do at home versus what a a shop can do. But P-Tex, you know, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the little candles. You light them up, drip that, that P-Tex candle into your base and then just like scrape off the excess and you've kind of filled, you can fill core shots, you can fill little things. Um, but what's, 
what's the difference between a lighter and a drip candle and what you guys have in the shop? Um, so the biggest thing that uh, a lot of people I feel like don't understand with the drip candles is they're like 50% wax and 50% PTEC. So it's not full base material. Um, and so it will, it will work for little scratches and stuff like that, but in a lot of bigger scratches, um, and things like that, it tends to not hold as well. Um, where we've got, um, a thing called a base welder and that, um, has a hundred percent PTEX. And so we can, um, get that to really hold in the base. Um, and then after we, we tune it as well. And a lot of the time we can get it to look pretty good. Yeah, that, and so. and that stuff seems to hold in the base. It won't fall out as easy. It it definitely lasts a lot, lot longer than just a candle. Um, I've done both. I've used both, but man, using one of those base welders is is quite a bit different. But when you guys do finish with those base welders, that's not the end of the line like it is at home at home you drip that in there you scrape it off with maybe a metal scraper that's the end but how do you guys finish a ski or a board after it's gone after it the base welder's been over it um so we've got a big machine um that's you know basically a similar concept to the edger um, where it's like a big belt sander and there's one part of it um is like sandpaper and that's what uh takes off base material um so to level it back out we will after we've done the base welding we'll run it over that a few times and make sure it's level um and then the other part of of the machine is um a stone that we there's a bit basically and you can program different um structure patterns and then you run it over that and that puts um the structure in your base, which um, helps with holding wax and things like that. Yeah, and it's it's pretty crazy. Like you said, that sander will take base material off and make things nice and flush, and then you take it over the the stone that has that that pattern in it, and you can completely level off a base. I think that we were all surprised when we started working there that. Um, a lot of skis and boards are not level at all. The base is, has got different warps and, and high spots and low spots in it. Um, and so leveling that out helps you get more base touching the snow, which means you're going to go faster. But then, like you said, you can also put structure in it. What? And there's a few different programs. What kind of, of structures do you guys usually put in bases? Um... So we'll have, you know, we have a few different ones. There's kind of different, you can do different ones for uh, like wet snow, dry snow or colder snow. Uh, and you can, you can use that for different snow conditions. Me- most of the tunes that we do um, is just, you know, we have one kind of general purpose setting that we'll do. Um, but then we can, we can cut the stone differently depending on um, if a customer were to want it tuned or to be tuned for um, different snow conditions. Yeah. Um, like if you have 
a set of spring skis that you really only ride in the slush or a slush party board or something like that, you can program that machine and put in a, a really good structure for those wetter snow conditions. But then, like you said, if you've got your POW skis and you really only ride POW in certain, you know, it's only a certain type of snow, then you can get a base structure on there so that your skis are going to be faster in POW, which is pretty cool. Um, that's something that I've definitely wanted to experiment with a little bit more, but it's it's a little tricky. Um, mm-hmm. But along those lines, um, we kind of passed over this, but with the edges and the PTEX and the base grinds, one of the big things that a lot of people can't really do at home are like uh, blown out edges and things like that. How do you guys fix blown out edges? Um, so it kind of depends on the circumstances. If the edge is still like all in one piece and it's just bent or uh, pushed out a little bit, we'll usually do what we can to keep that edge intact. Um, but if it's broken or too far bent in any way, then usually what we'll do is cut, um, cut a piece of the edge out. And then we have, um, just spare edge that we use and we'll just put a piece that's the same size, um, right in that spot. And I've done that, um, on a pair of my personal skis and it, it usually holds up pretty well, but it's something I would definitely go to a shop for, um, just cause it's it's pretty hard to do on your own at home. Yeah. And leveling that or making that edge flush again, you really need a machine to kind of take that material off super fast so that it's a nice smooth, uh, edge instead of one part being more raised or something than the other. It definitely pays to have that done at a shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially because it's something too where, um, hopefully it doesn't happen as often as like a wax might be needed or, um, you know, just, just an edge tune or something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, um, something else that I don't think many people ever think about and it, it, I guess it applies to both skis and boards a little bit are their bindings. Um, most people think with their ski bindings, click in and out, whatever, you don't ever have to mess with them. Um, snowboard bindings, same thing. Like people just undo the straps and they call it a day. And fortunately binding maintenance with a snowboard is pretty easy. Like just take a number three Phillips, make sure your, your bolts are tight, make sure everything's tight on your straps and you're good to go. But what about ski bindings? What maintenance is there to do with ski bindings? Um, so I I would say the biggest thing that, yeah, you know, we have a, a lot of people come in um, and they just don't pay attention to um, their indemnification, which is basically um, every manufacturer will send out a list to us every year of bindings that we can safely um, adjust and mount and, um, work on. Um, and if it's not on the list, um, then 
we can't legally uh, work on it. So I think that would be the biggest thing, whether you're buying like a pair of used skis or um, you just got skis that you're going to keep for a while and, um, or, or you've had for a while and the bindings are getting, you know, older. Um, it's just something that I would, I would look out for um, because more people or a lot of people um, will come in and just have no idea. And they're like, well, I just bought these skis. Um, most, most reputable shops won't um, service them. So yeah, they, they won't touch them at all. Um, and that's something you see far too often. People go to a ski swap and at the ski swap, they come back, they score this quote, sweet pair of skis for 25 bucks well, now they're going to need to have, you know, another a three, $400 set of bindings put on those $50 skis. And then all of a sudden it's not as good of a deal as they thought it was because their bindings are too old and they're not safe anymore. Um, and so to go along with the indemnification, not only do you have to check the list and make sure that it's safe to work on those bindings, but then say it is safe to work on, then what kind of stuff do you do after that? Say someone got a different pair of boots that are a little bit different in length. What kind of stuff do you guys do with that? Yeah, so um, if you get, you usually um, if someone buys like just a pair of boots from us um, and they want them like fit to their skis, we won't have to remount them um, if it's a similar size a lot of the time. Um, we will just, adjust the what's called the forward pressure um and that's just making sure that the binding is holding the boot at the correct tension um and then we have a machine that will um test the release both in the toe and the the heel um and so that's what that's what we'll do when when you get like a new pair of boots and i would recommend um doing that just kind of it's just a good peace of mind um thing to know that your bindings are working correctly and releasing, you know, at the right tension. Yeah. And is this something, can I adjust my bindings at home? Yeah. As long as you know what you're doing, yes, you can. Um, but it's just very important that you, you make sure that you know what you're doing because it's easy to set them up incorrectly and it can, um, you can really hurt yourself if you, if you have them set up wrong. So, yeah, and there's a for that reason, the shop employees at your local ski shop are all going to be certified to work on those bindings. They have to take a big, huge test and read a big pamphlet so that you know the manufacturers know that Debbie is safe to work on your skis. He knows what he's doing and he's not going to screw it up. Whereas you at home. If you adjust your bindings at home, sure, you can do it correctly. But even if it's done correctly at home, you're not going to be covered by the warranty or the insurance policy that that manufacturer has because you're probably not an authorized uh, technician for that brand of bindings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we, there are some bindings that we can't like, um, no, no matter if they're indemnified or not, we can't legally work on them because we aren't uh, like a dealer of that 
certain brand of binding. So all the companies are really, you know, they're really particular about only certain people can, uh, can adjust them yeah, uh, or else. Like one, one big example is, um, you guys sell Tyrolia bindings. <clears throat> you can work on Tyrolia bindings. Well, Tyrolia makes bindings for head and Fisher and Forefront and Elon, but you can't touch the Fisher bindings because you don't sell them, so you're technically not certified by them just because mm-hmm. they're a different brand. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's technically a Tyrolia made binding, it still says Fisher on it, so yeah, we can't. Yeah, so the, there's there's situations like that where um, we won't be able to, you know, we won't be able to do anything. But usually, different shops will will be certified for different brands. So you can usually, if one shop doesn't, um, you know, isn't able to do it, you can usually find another shop that's close by that that'll be able to do it. Yeah, and you know, like we've discussed, there's a lot of legal issues around all of that stuff. So it's best to just not take chances, take it to the shop. Like Debbie said, they've got big expensive machines that have to be calibrated every so often to make sure that everything is releasing when it's supposed to. So most places do it for pretty cheap, so you might as well just do it and have that peace of mind that you're not going to blow out your knee because of your bindings. You know, if you do, yeah, you probably did something stupid. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of places might even do it, you know, for cheaper than normal or even free if you buy like, a pair of boots from them. Um, so yeah. like I know our, our shop in particular, if you buy um, one of the items from us, then the either adjust test or mount is half of what it normally would be. So uh, that's something to keep in mind too if you're shopping for new stuff. Nice. And moving from bindings, bindings interface with the ski boots how do the ski boots play a role in that indemnification process and being safe so a pretty new thing um that's just kind of gotten uh popular on a lot of boots in the last few years is something called grip walk um which is just basically a rubber outsole um that's just you know better for walking around the parking lot or um like I have it on my touring boots and it's helpful for if I ever have to boot back anywhere, it's, it's more grippy than just a traditional, um, Alpine outsole. Um, and it's a, it's a nice thing to have. Um, but I think something to keep in mind is that you need a binding that's also compatible with that outsole. Um, and most of the big companies are, are making something that's compatible. Um, but there are, especially on the cheaper end of things um, or older, there are still bindings that definitely don't work with grip walk. Um, so you might think, you know, oh, this binding is, you know, better for me because it's cheaper. Um, but even uh, at our store, things still slip through and we have, um, you know, a binding that won't work with a boot. We can't do anything about it because it's not legally compatible. So, yeah. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, you have some boots that the sole is so worn or so old 
so that it doesn't pass the safety standards to things, you know, waxing, be used, edging, well, really with any binding, uh, but not with the more modern bindings, bindings either. I think, uh, you know, we saw a bunch grinds, of people with like, like that. the old are there any other, rear entry boots what are some tips that are or 25, that 30 have years have old for keeping unfortunately stuff like maintained that, stuff just doesn't that you do at home the new bindings or or in the shop like just little little things that people can do themselves yeah. um i think you know a lot of people I'll, I'll see a lot of skis that'll come in um with with a lot of rust on them and um it's pretty easy to prevent if you just you know make sure you you can just take a rag really quick when you get home from skiing and just wipe down your skis um and that way it'll you know take off all the water and then it won't rust um some like you know i've even done it myself but if you just throw your skis in the garage um attached together still it'll you know the water will stay on there and won't really melt and then it will just turn into rust um so you know if if you're concerned about not getting rust on your edges i would definitely just wipe your skis down really quick after, um, after you get home and it'll, you know, it helps extend the life of the ski and, um, just make them look the best they can. Yeah. That's something I do. I just keep a, I keep a small towel, like a dish towel in my ski bag. And that way, every time I get done, I can dry it off before it goes in the car or on the ski rack. And then I dry it off again when I get home and, that's literally like five minutes out of your day to make sure that you don't get rust on your edges and everything stays good. Um, anything else that you can think of? Um, I think just also to pay attention to, um, like, yes, these, these things like toe height and forward pressure and the din, um, if you get them mounted, by a professional at a ski shop they're they're set correctly in um in the shop but that doesn't mean you know they're still screws things can move around um so i would just you know advise people just to check that kind of stuff every once in a while um just because i've had you know my toes feel loose or um my forward pressure not be quite um quite right on so um, I think that's something to look for. And, um, even if you don't feel comfortable, like adjusting it, you don't want to mess it up. It's still something to look out for. So you can then take it to a shop and kind of explain to them what's going on. Uh, fix it for you. Yeah. That's a solid tip. Solid. Okay. So to wrap this up, um, I always like to ask people, what are three pieces of gear that you are super stoked on right now? Um, I guess the skis back there, I just mounted up. Which skis are they? The line Sakanas. They're, they're a few years old. I got them used from a buddy, but they, um, they should be, should be good. I'm, I think I'm going to head up tomorrow and test them out. So that should be cool. Um, and then I just got my new boots the krypton 130s um first time i've had like a 130 boot but so far it's been been pretty good i've liked the you know responsive feel of them um 
And then I just got the new handed 3.0s from Faction. Um, those are pretty sweet too. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of that line of skis. So um, it was nice to be able to get those. But, um, and then I got a, I have a shift binding on there. So I'll hopefully be able to do some touring with them once we get a little more snow or if we get more snow. <laughs> but Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone pray for snow. Doesn't matter if it's to Tom Cruise or, you know, little bunnies. I don't care who you pray to. Just pray for snow. But, yeah, that wraps things up for our podcast. Thanks, Deb, for being on the on the show. We'll definitely have Debbie back to talk about some both ski and bike warranty stuff because uh, that's a hot topic, especially with everyone out using their gear right now. All right. Well, well yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a good, good time. So nice. All right. Well, we will catch you guys on the next one.